Hi, Whoop to Politic. I'm your host, Christine. Today, we'll be unraveling the question on how COVID-19 has impacted our labor market. Jobs are essentially important in getting through the pandemic. It's about having enough money to provide food, rent, mortgage, and other utilities to get around. But as COVID cases increases, many sectors are experiencing business closures and job shortages. This affects many groups from immigrants, low-income communities, and recent graduates. To take it from here, we'll be introducing 15 and Fairness to discuss their stances on the current social and employment policy issues affecting Ontario. Welcome back to Politic. Thank you for joining us today. Can you please tell us who you are and what your organization does? My name is Noelle Mohammed, and I'm a community organizer with the Campaign for 15 and Fairness here in Ontario. We're a worker-led organization fighting for decent work for all. Decent work means decent wages, fair scheduling practices, paid sick days, and safe and healthy workplaces. Our organization's approach is twofold. We push politicians to enact strong labor laws to protect workers, and we fight bad bosses who mistreat their employees. The minimum wage has been a topic of discussion during every election cycle and even off election cycles. There was a talk about a national minimum wage a while ago. What are your thoughts on the possibility and effectiveness of such an approach compared to the current provincial one? The federal government can only mandate the minimum wage of workers in federally regulated industries. So this includes banks, telecommunications, the postal service, and airports. The minimum wage of all other workers falls under provincial jurisdiction. Now, having said that, we have been pushing the federal government to honor their promise and legislate a federal $15 minimum wage. Prime Minister Trudeau promised to implement a $15 minimum wage that keeps place keeps pace with inflation this year. This promise was reiterated in Federal Minister of Labor Philomena Tassi's mandate letter and again in her Labor Day statement. Instituting a federal minimum wage of at least $15 will put pressure on the provinces to raise their minimum wages. It shows that a $15 minimum wage is possible to implement at the provincial level. That's why we're holding Trudeau accountable for his promise. As mentioned in episode two of this season in the podcast, women continue to face lower wages than their male counterparts. However, women of color face even more disparities ranging from 65 to 71 cents per dollar. How have labor movements addressed this issue in their advocacy? I can't speak For the entire labor movement, I can really only speak to our own work within the labor movement. At 15 and Fairness, we know there can't be economic justice without racial and gender justice. We know that racialized women and migrant workers are disproportionately low-waged and precariously employed. Our approach is to raise the minimum labor standards to improve the living conditions of our most negatively impacted members of society. This is why we're fighting to raise the minimum standards legislated in the Ontario Employment Standard Act. No one should be working for poverty wages. No one should be forced to go to work when they're sick. By fighting to raise the minimum standards, we're fighting to ensure those disproportionately impacted 
will experience real change in their lives. The concept of hero pay has been quite unique to many establishments during the ongoing pandemic. However, as restrictions were lifted, many corporations also lifted their hero pay from their workers. Going forward, do you think the concept of hero pay should become a reoccurring fixture during emergency situations? Hero pay should be reinstituted because the pandemic isn't over and essential workers are still risking their lives to keep our communities going. As of this recording, we're hearing about 700 cases per day in Ontario. This pandemic has shown us that without migrant farm workers, healthcare workers, grocery store workers, cleaners, care workers, we can't have a functioning society. Instituting hero pay in the first place tells us that employers know this work is essential. Rescinding hero pay in the midst of a pandemic, even as corporations rake in record profits, tells us they're not willing to pay essential workers fairly. That being said, hero pay doesn't solve the larger problem of poverty wages. Nobody deserves to work for poverty wages. Pandemic or no pandemic, they should have higher wages. The government has deemed grocery store workers and care workers and migrant farm workers essential because they know their work is invaluable, but government refusal to raise the minimum wage tells us they think poverty wages are acceptable. We're fighting to change that. The Canadian economy received a moderation with the introduction of apps like Uber, Lyft, and Fedora. The latter ended up leaving Canada when its workers agreed to unionize. What do you think continues to make the gig economy a very difficult field for many to earn a living? Gig work is precarious work. Gig workers don't get paid a minimum wage, vacation pay, overtime pay, or public holiday pay. Their ability to earn a living is subject to the whims of an app. Gig workers often have to wait long periods between orders, and they're not being paid for that time. They're responsible for paying to maintain their vehicle, and that eats into their earnings. Insurance often doesn't cover gig workers in the event of an accident or injury. Gig workers aren't covered by health and safety regulations, so they don't receive any compensation for a work-related injury. Contract work and freelancing is rapidly becoming a regular practice at many workplaces, including the nonprofit sector. Many of these positions often come with little to no benefits and reduced compensation. Do you think there is an over-reliance of the government's definition of independent contractors that leads to this situation? Legal definitions of an employee versus an independent contractor versus a dependent contractor defines how much say you have over your working conditions. Who decides when and what hours you work? Who provides the equipment you use to work? Can you be disciplined? Can you be fired? Employers use these definitions to avoid compensating workers fairly and to obscure whose responsibility it is to maintain safe working conditions. Gig workers are often misclassified as independent contractors rather than employees. Uber and other app-based corporations like to pretend that these workers are their own bosses who enjoy the flexibility that comes from setting their own hours. The reality is that Uber 
deliberately misclassifies workers to avoid the responsibilities that come with being an employer. Misclassifying workers is illegal, but without strict enforcement and penalties for bad bosses, bad bosses will continue exploiting workers. Recent social movements such as Me Too and Black Lives Matter have allowed many workers to criticize and demand change at their workplaces. However, some of them have faced retaliation in the form of termination or demotion, even for pointing out health and safety concerns. Do you think current protections are proving ineffective to prevent retaliation towards workers? Absolutely. Our labor laws are ineffective, and one of the reasons why is because they're not enforced. Labor laws are toothless without effective enforcement. If a worker steals wages from the cash register, the boss calls the police and gets the money back. If a boss steals wages from their workers, it can take months or even years for the worker to win their wages back, even if the government agrees that they should be paid. Take Mankind Grooming. Mankind Grooming owed two salon workers nearly $10,000 in wages. The Ministry of Labor ordered Mankind Grooming to pay the workers. Despite their ruling, Mankind Grooming refused to pay. Two years passed before the salon workers were paid their wages, and the only reason those workers received their owed wages was because the community rallied around them and demanded that Mankind Grooming pay them. Immigrant workers are essential to the Canadian economy due to our population size and scale of production. Even though they are crucial to our livelihood, their immigration issues are often overlooked. How have current policies in employment and immigration affected the status of migrant workers? Precarious immigration status leaves migrant workers vulnerable to abuse. Migrant workers' work permits are often tied to a specific employer. That means a migrant worker's immigration status is tied to their employer. If a migrant worker is being mistreated, and they often are being mistreated, there's no recourse for them that doesn't put them at risk of being deported. They can't simply leave their job and find another employer. And this is particularly common among migrant workers who are employed as live-in care workers and farm workers. In order to protect migrant workers from exploitation, they need to be able to speak up when they are being mistreated without the risk of deportation. The Canadian government needs to grant all migrant workers full and permanent status. International students are charged exorbitant tuition fees, but their study permits limit the number of hours they can work in a week. This creates immense financial hardship for international students. One example of this is in 2017, Jobandeep Singh Sandhu was arrested and threatened with deportation because he worked more hours than his study permit allowed. And after graduation, there's no real path for international students to permanent residency uh, because of strict time-sensitive requirements that are imposed by the government. But beyond all of that, I want to reiterate that migrant justice is labor justice. We're not advocating on behalf of international students as though they're a separate group from us. They're an integral part of the labor movement. Perhaps one of the biggest topics aside from minimum wage is paid sick leave. As many people continue to face hardships due to COVID, what continues to make paid sick leave a concept rather than a reality for all workers? 
When we say we want paid sick leave, let's be clear about what we mean. We're demanding seven permanent paid sick days and 14 paid sick days during outbreaks. By permanent, we mean they need to be enshrined in the employment standards of every province. They need to be seamlessly accessible, meaning the employer cannot ask for, pay for sick notes. It has to be accessible to all workers, regardless of immigration or employment status. So far, sick leave proposals that have been put forward by legislators do not meet the criteria I've just outlined. Politicians will say things like, if you're sick, stay home, and they will confuse job-protected leave, which simply means that an employer cannot fire you for staying home when you're sick, with paid sick leave. They're two separate things. Job-protected leave is generally unpaid, and people are forced to work in order to pay their bills if they don't have sick leave. We have to be clear about what we're demanding in order to make paid sick leave a reality. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share with our listeners where they can find you to stay up to date with your organization. You can follow us on at Fair Wages Now on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our website is 15andfairness.org. We have monthly organizing meetings and you can find the details uh, on our website. We're grateful for the solidarity expressed by the Workers Action Center, the Decent Work and Health Network, the Migrant Rights Network, the Retail Action Network in BC, the Sudbury Workers Action Center, and the Halifax Workers Action Center, and many, many others we don't have time today uh, to thank. Thank you all so much.